Hello, welcome to Talking Usework. My name is Rui Branco and together with Anita Silva, we bring you a podcast where we interview usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework, either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends, or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can news workers shake up, upgrade, and innovate on their daily work. Hello, hello. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Today we talked with my dear friend Snezana. She is an international trainer, a facilitator, a consultant, an author. She knows a lot about youth work and how to facilitate, how to design sessions in the non-formal education space. So we discussed how learning spaces, the physical space, actually influence so much about our mood, our capacity to relate to one another, our motivation to learn, our capacity to reflect, and how sometimes in our field we are still maybe missing some awareness about that, that influence that space has on our learning and how we can actually be more intentional on how we design learning spaces. So this was a very interesting conversation. I really do hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And with no further ado, let's talk some youth work. Hello everyone, here we are again for a new episode of Talking Youth Work and today I am so happy to have Snezana with us. Hi Snezana. Finally, hi. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would never ask. <laughs> <laughs> I was just building the tension, honey. <laughs> Snezana is a good friend, a trainer, a consultant um, and you are, where are you zooming from? I'm zooming from my corner armchair in my bedroom in Novi Sad in Serbia. Very cool. And of course, today we are here as well with Rui. Good morning, Rui. Hello, good morning. Where how, are you sitting are today? You? Uh, <laughs> in the place as usual, in my home, in Carcavelos near Lisbon, Portugal. Fantastic. I'm also in Lisbon, Portugal. And um, yeah, we're going to have this uh, nice international talk. Um, about learning spaces. So uh, actually it links, nice segue <laughs> about this, the spaces where we are right now. Um, but before that, Snez, how did you how did you get into youth work? We always like these personal stories. What happened to you? <laughs> What happened? <laughs> well, it's not actually, I'm not sure it's the story worth sharing uh, because it doesn't start with values, let me tell you that. But anyway, um, so I... I got into youth work, or rather, I actually immediately got into training, uh, but youth work training, somewhere when I was 20, 20 something, and I really desperately wanted to travel. And uh, and I lived in Serbia at the time, traveling wasn't so easy due to mm -hmm. the consequences of the 90s and so on. And my mother was part of uh, an international organization in her youth. So she ended up in Finland and Spain. I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, my father actually one day came home and said, I arranged a meeting for you. You're going to meet this guy. He's part of some organizations. They do traveling. So you go and talk to him. So I went and that's how it started. 
Fantastic. Yeah, I'm not sure it's fantastic though. That's how it started that I actually joined the organization. But then the actual youth work and stuff, then I was sent to a training of trainers, uh, fell in love with the training of trainers. So I actually worked backwards. Yeah, I started traveling, did the international training for trainers, started doing international training, and then started doing youth work also in the local slash national organization here in Avisat. Okay, so yeah, that's a bit unconventional. Yeah. But uh, you started with the wish for mobility. I mean, you're totally in line with European values. <laughs> <laughs> mobility, yes, yes. And cultures and stuff. <laughs> okay, and how did you uh, got started being interested in this topic specific of, of learning environments? What, what or how you got into this? Uh, I think it was also quite spontaneous. I think that probably the biggest influence on thinking and feeling uh, about this topic was that I spent five years working actively for an organization based in the UK mm -hmm. uh, that did programs of intercultural dialogue and understanding uh, on very exciting environments. On, I say, because we also went on a tall ship uh, sailing. Mm -hmm but also working closely with Outward Bound, uh, so mm -hmm. the outdoor-based education uh, centers in the UK. So I spent quite a lot of time in Wales, Scotland, and so on, under the rain, uh, cold, and so on, but just really using the outdoors a lot. Uh, and we used it a lot also with young people who would previously not really communicate with each other. Like we had also young Israelis, Palestinians, Indonesians, Brits, Americans, and so on. So I've seen what a wonderful environment can do uh, even though maybe not suitable uh, when you look at it. Yeah, because it was really, there are times when it was really dreadful. The weather was horrible and you would still keep going. You would sleep outside. But in a way, how it really plays this element of bringing people together like I could never do as a facilitator. So I think that was the first first bug, I think, of, of looking a little bit and exploring the learning environments. Then I worked a lot with the streets uh, with another colleague. I did quite a lot of trainings on street animation for like street campaigning change and so on and also seeing what the streets can do uh so i realized there is more to life than training rooms i think that was probably <laughs> how i got excited about all this and then at some point i think it was some years ago i was motivated strongly if not forced by a colleague that you might know mark taylor uh who thought that i should write and i should start by writing reports to come and join youth Pass learning agora which was an event exploring the learning environments uh, and there we actually explored it a lot. I wrote a report afterwards, but also kind of got very curious about it. Also, maybe from a more conceptual point of view, theoretical, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there is a lot of theory still about it, at least in our field, but at least thinking about it conceptually, what, it is, what does it mean? What kind of role it plays in education? How does it influence the facilitator? How does it influence the learners? Can we influence it at all ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. I was listening, and one one thing that came to mind is that you're not really talking about physical spaces. When you talk environment, it's more the the people that make up the environment. Is that it? And you should say that because we did have a seminar a couple of months ago or months weeks ago. Anita was there as well, mm -hmm. where this was a big topic actually of the conversation. Are we talking about physical spaces? Uh, are we talking about just human factor that then shapes these spaces? Are we talking about both? I'm actually one of the firm believers that physical space has a role as well in this environment. Uh, of course, not on its own, because the hill in Wales would stay a hill in Wales um, and serve different purposes, but it's only shaped by the humans that kind of set their foot. Oh, this is very poetic. But, uh, <laughs> but in a way that I do believe that there is also something to physical spaces as well that completes, if you would like, the, the whole uh, environment. So I, I, would, I would like to pick up on that, on, on this idea that physical space 
shapes the learning. Um, and I think that has a lot a lot of perspectives on that. There's a lot of dimensions there. And one of them you mentioned was this, you know, this idea of comfort. You said like in Wales, maybe the weather is dreadful and still was impactful. Um, and if we look at trainings and youth work, many times we look for comfort, you know, how to put our learners comfortable learning. So is there an issue there with comfort and, and learning? How do you see a connection there or um, does, does it influence? Well, as you know, this wonderful meme that goes, the life begins at the end of your comfort zone, or how does it go? <laughs> yeah. This wonderful thing that is being shared. Of course, there's comfort plays a big role. So I think I'm I'm a firm believer if in, in the rains and, and, mm -hmm. and dreadful conditions are in the basic conditions in the training room rooms, if we come back, yeah, from the from the outdoor as well. Um but I think they need to coexist because what would happen with us, for example, uh, when we would have this strong outdoor experience is that we would always go back at the end of the day or even outside. Yeah, we would find a hut, have fire, you know, mm -hmm. have a moment of comfort. But I think comfort also depends um, from the group to group and from mm -hmm. the also the setting that you're in. Right. So, for example, our comfort there, I'm just thinking of one experience in particular where we were really in this hut where you just had floor and a little bit of fire and that was so right. comfortable, yeah? <laughs> but if you were building a training room, you would not think that that would be your baseline, right? You would not say, yeah, just some walls and some floor and, and some fire. <laughs> That's it. So I think it depends on the benchmark very much. Um, but I think it's interesting what you're saying, Anita. I think we very often look at, okay, let's have a lot of light and a very soft cushions and that soft music in the background and um, and I think that's nice, uh, but I think we also need something to keep us on our toes. Is yeah, that planned discomfort, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, a little bit. This made me think of the interview we did the, the other day about learning experience design. Mm -hmm. And when, when, when we're thinking about this is that the environment can also be designed to be part of the experience. Like you were saying, it's not only the people, it's not the place where the discomfort comes from. It can be an uh, uncomfortable conversation or an, an uh, uncomfortable weather or whatever. So it's thinking before what we're, what we're trying to, um, to get to and what the role that the environment has in the mm. all of the experience. I think so. I think actually uh, in what you said, now I realized, in fact, that I have a bit of a trouble with the with the word design. Uh, although I use it myself in the seminar a couple of weeks ago, because I'm I'm wondering how much do we actually design, and how much do we actually in spaces? Yeah, the learning experiences, of course. I think spaces we use, we borrow, uh, we kind of adapt maybe a little bit to our uh, to our needs. But I'm wondering, unless I have a huge grant mm -hmm. uh, and I'm entrepreneurial, which I'm not, and I build a training center, then I do design. Yeah, I work with the architects probably and I do it. But other than that, I look at the space that I have, the environment that I have, and then I try to shape it, I think, a little bit to what, what I need uh, in that sense. And I think also when we say design, I have a feeling that our head or my head immediately goes into, well, there is this training room. What do I do with it and how do I design mm -hmm. it? But I feel that sometimes I walk into the room and I think, this room is not giving me what I need. Where else can I find it? Yeah. And that exactly. is, I think, about borrowing, using, exploring, and, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's in at the end of the day, either either we call it design or something else, or or planning or whatever, creating, whatever. I think it's about this intentionality, right? It's about being exactly. intentional about uh not only your activities, not only um 
which game is going to follow uh, the other game or what reflection questions you're going to have, where you're going to do the briefing, but to be very intentional about, <clears throat> about the spaces and the disposition of the space, the organization of the space, because I think spaces cause, they have a huge effect on our motivation, mm. on our emotions for sure, right? Yeah, I think it's about not forgetting the space, yeah, not forgetting what it is. That said, I think I always use one example, um, and Anita, you would remember it because that's where we met. Uh, It was this training in Macedonia in this... Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I don't know what it was. Was it a hotel? I don't know. There was was a space. Let's go. It was kind of an abandoned hotel, I would say. (laughs) And I remember one particular clowning workshop, which actually happened because the other room, our working room, was occupied by a parallel workshop. So we were actually working in a dining room where the workers who were rebuilding this hotel were eating at that particular moment from metal plates and metal bowls. I mean, it was really, it was bizarre almost, yeah? And then we were working in another part uh, that was not necessarily the cleanest thing ever, but kind of, you know, doing clowning, rolling on the floor. It was one of the most memorable experiences of my life, honestly, and not just because you're sitting here, Anita. But I also (laughs) remember thinking afterwards, how did I allow myself to do this in the space that we had? The space was not... Not just far from ideal. It was almost awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is where it kind of, that space complements what is going on or doesn't bother what is going on. I think that was probably the limit that we were at. But where you make the space kind of part of your whole playground and, and yeah. things that you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I think but from just, that training, just uh, yeah, that, that's probably the, the, one of the few trainings I regret not giving up on the first day. There's a cancelling on the first day after everybody arrived because the conditions were really not there. It was a great but, training, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of learning, for sure. This is the thing. This is the thing. Like, we always kind of aim for the best conditions. And I think in Europe, we have that privilege to have amazing uh, opportunities. Well, many of us have amazing opportunities to create learning spaces or to adapt, like you say, in, in, in spaces that have everything. They have projectors and they have... Mm-hmm you know, sound systems and carpets and, you know, and uh, we always like to talk about maybe the the Budapest Youth Center as like a wonderful place to work because, (laughs) but it it doesn't, it's not necessarily the most memorable place. No. And I think it's also that, uh, I think among your questions that we completely abandoned along the way, there was one thing about what do we look for elements and things like that. I think for me, it's not necessarily to aim for Budapest room, although it would be great to always work there, uh, the uh, room at the top of the, on the top floor. But I think it's just sometimes these most wonderful rooms also don't work with what we are trying to achieve. Yeah, I'm sure you you both have been to wonderful five-star or whatever hotels, uh, even put in the conference rooms, and then it kind of, it all works. It's all wonderful. Um but just your topic or your focus or your group or you as a unit are simply not fitting in there. Absolutely. And it just yeah. doesn't, doesn't work together. So I think it's also about making the space work with what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. That's what, what I was uh, I was listening to both of you. And I, you said that despite being an awful environment or it worked. So yeah. is it the space? That, that's that's where my mind is going because if the environment goes beyond and even in a awful place good learning happens 
good experience happened. So happen. what's the role of yeah. the, the the physical space? What's the the, the percentage of, of a good experience of a bad experience? Ah, percentage. <laughs> <laughs> well, 37% of the... 37.3. <laughs> to be more precise. Um, okay, that I cannot answer. I'm sorry about the percentage and how much, to which extent it works. But it triggered me actually to think of something. My reflection from our seminar... Uh, which was maybe it's worth to mention what it was. So, so some weeks ago, Please, yeah. uh, we also had a seminar on learning environments, so expert seminar where we brought people who are kind of used to thinking about it and 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 are designing or shaping or whatever the learning spaces, and spent two two and a half days thinking together about it. Um, it kind of linked to the event that I mentioned before, Youth Plus Learning Agora, but uh, not only. And one of my learnings was well in the expert group it's almost easy also to leave space, physical space behind. Yeah, we can still talk about the environment, the role of the group, the energy, the sensing, the feeling, all that. Yeah, but you can kind of think, whatever you give me, I can work with. Yeah, or almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think not everyone is an expert. Not everyone needs to be an expert. Not everyone does uh, facilitation of learning on their daily basis or as their profession. And I think we need to ensure minimum conditions, I think, for things to happen. Hence, although it was a super memorable experience, because we also had two great facilitators at the time, the group was, I think, also quite good in in this particular example I I showed. I would not wish it to myself or anyone else to be repeated as a space, Mm -hmm. not the experience, but as a space. So I think this is why it's important, I think, to talk about learning environments to So for different stakeholders, including decision makers, including those who are thinking about budgets and what do we allocate for the place where the learning happens, to bear that in mind. Yeah, that indeed Mm -hmm. awful places can uh, kind of give birth to wonderful experiences, but it's not a given. (laughs) Yeah, I'm. I'm, Yeah. So for for me, I I, as you know, we discussed this in in the seminar. For me, I have this issue. It's very hard for me to. Uh, talk about learning environments and talk just about the space. I would rather talk about physical learning spaces. Then, then, then I know exactly what we're talking okay. about because for me, the environment cannot be detached of mm. what you do with it, the activities, and the people that are there. Mm. And I totally agree with you that sometimes, well, on on everything you said, really, that sometimes the spaces are not adequate, even if they are great spaces. And I had seminars about inclusion in great hotels in Lisbon, in a great hotel in Lisbon, and participants were cringing from the first day because they were thinking, we are not supposed to be here. We're talking about inclusion, and this is really expensive hotel. What are we doing here? This should not... And people were not open to learn because they were upset. They were discomfortable in this hotel. We'd had all the conditions, mm-hmm. you know. So had, just to exemplify what you just said, it's not about having the best conditions ever that might not be adequate especially if you want to learn outdoor education for example or whatever else no? yeah but um but on this idea that physical learning spaces matter and a lot of maybe uh, a lot of trainers in general a lot of facilitators youth workers might not have that so present in their mind mm. when we think about designing learning experiences we're thinking of just about the activities the group the needs and the space is kind of an thing we have to work with and mm. i agree with you that, that there's much more so what i would ask you is what what things should we be looking at when we're talking about using more the space or being more aware of the space uh i think if we can i think that's also uh, one thing that we discussed how much can we influence it but let's mm. say we can and i think mm-hmm. we should raise our voices and then hopefully at some point someone will hear mm. i think one thing and now you were saying about inclusion i think we need to look for spaces, physical spaces, let's call them mm-hmm. yeah, physical learning spaces that work 
together with the values or the topics we are trying to promote. I think that's very important because I keep going back to our uh, wonderful experience. And I remember also some of the hotels and places where we did trainings for street campaigning. And those were normally quite cringy ones. But I think it's just because when you need to prepare for street campaigning, clowning, things like that, you definitely need to. I think you're flirting with a panic zone there because it's really about putting yourself being looked by, you know, in front of Ridiculized. other people, doing silly things, yeah, and so on. So it prepares you from the street. So if the hotel is doing that already, or a training center or whatever, even better. Yeah, so there it works. But if you are talking about maybe some other topics, I would never do a conflict transformation training in a place like that, yeah? There I would look more like a cocoon-like place, mm. yeah, where you you know there is safety. You know you're not exposed to other people. You know that no one is going to overhear what you're saying. Right. So I think that's one thing. I think the first thing we need to think about is, what is my training trying to say? Youth exchange, whatever learning experience. And what kind of space will work uh, with this? Yeah. I think the second one, as much as possible, and this is, of course, uh, not always in our hands, to have the space that offers diversity. Yeah. Mm. Because I think one thing that we discussed about this quite a lot, one thing that we often neglect is that we need to have also little corners or little spaces for people to just step back. Yeah. And if you have a wonderful plenary, even if the Budapest one plenary, if there is nothing else, uh, and I don't mean in a separate room when you close your door, but something, mm. there is a little uh, alcove or something where you can just be yourself. I think that also doesn't work. And also, when I say diversity, outdoors also doesn't work for everyone. So pushing, for example, people in the outdoors is also not going to produce great results. So somehow having the space that allows you to move and shift and for people to choose where they will be. I think it's very important. And then I think, as I said, I think previously, if you walk into the space, spend some time and you realize this is not what I need. If we are in the town, at least, I think there's so many spaces in towns that we can use. Right. Right. I mean, for example, in the training center where I love to work, which is eight kilometers away from my hometown called Slamsky Karlovci, the space is wonderful anyway, because it's a training center and the people who design it are youth workers and trainers. But there is a wonderful old high school that looks almost like Hogwarts that we very often go to because it's such a great space. Yeah, There are streets there are wonderful. There is a city garden uh, that offer another part of the, of the process. There is a river where we sometimes do kayaking or whatever. I mean, there we have a lot of possibilities, as you can see. But I think it's just really thinking, what does the wider environment offer that I cannot get in my training room? And I think sometimes, myself included, we're quite lazy to explore that. Or maybe we don't oh, have yeah. time. Yeah, maybe they tell us, come two hours before the training and run it. Yeah, then, of course, you cannot explore. But I think a little bit of thinking around, uh, even if you do it on the third day, you understand there is a wonderful cafe and you do a coffee break there because your space is just hmm. not really great for conversations and coffee. So I think these were the three things that I would, I would always think about okay okay so inclusive spaces diverse spaces and i think i missed the third one now and seeing what is around yeah okay, so, yeah. so yeah, understanding that you can look for what you need outside yeah. of what is your space mm. i think inclusive maybe just to say anita it's not just about being inclusive which i think is super important mm. uh but i think it's also that it works together with the topic yeah, that is adequate. Supports, supports the 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 topic. Yeah. yeah so, so what I was hearing is that you have to find the 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 environment that uh, raises the level of the 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 message that you're trying to bring. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that amplifies. Well it. Yeah, amplifies. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's well said. Yeah. Yeah. I I think this is very interesting because for me, I'm very interested in these things. I'm very. I'm very uh, happy to play with the physical aspects, not just the space itself, but 
everything that involves that space, the the sound, the level, the level of noise, like you said, the level of privacy or exposure. Um, sometimes noise, like a cafe, can be nice because it can actually create privacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In other things, it creates exposure, right? In other moments, it creates exposure. So um, to play with these ideas, even temperature, music, um, colors, of course, no, the colors invoke emotions as well. Um, but I do think that many times we don't think about these things out of habit, I would say. I think mm. very much we're looking, getting to a room and we first thing is like, can we fit a circle in here? Can we fit the, the participants in a circle? Yeah, and if exactly. that is it, I think we've thought about 95% Ooh. of the <laughs> thought about space goes into There's that. There's your That's percentage, Rui. Yeah, 95%. 95%. Yeah, okay. I think, well, looking at my own practice, I know I, I had to, I have to be very aware of myself and to kind of question myself because that's what I will do. I will look into a space. Can I do a circle? Yes. Ah, it works then. And and I won't think further. I, I won't kind of give it more attention to the details of the disposition. Uh, how can I use it creatively? Where's the light coming in? Where's the, you know, all these aspects. Um and it would be interesting to have have more thoughts on that. I think for me, I think I still find the rooms itself limiting. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because if the if the light or very often that you are without natural light in the room, uh, yes. there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah? But recently, I, for example, did a facilitation of a meeting of this uh, of different stakeholders, and we were uh, we were in Ar- Armenia. It's a wonderful town, Gumri. and actually we started by walking in Gumri. Yeah, one of the tasks was exchange, walk and talk. Yeah. But I think for me, it's so important also nowadays for people to understand where they are. And I think that's also part, as you were saying, it enhances the learning as well. And it also kind of the stories from the community kind of start seeping in into the learning environment. Kind of grounds you. And when I say walking around, it doesn't mean from a monument to monument. Like we went through the street market, you know, we went through some abandoned park. It's just to see what is there. Yeah. And try to feel it and then understand that that's also part. You're not just home airport hotel airport home which is the lifestyle that we have and it's quite awful to be honest <laughs> so kind of to really try to also see what is there and, and incorporate it as much as mm. possible uh, and get some daily light if you don't have it in your working room as well while while i was listening i was i was thinking about how can also the group have a say in the place where they want to learn because uh, Sometimes it's the facilitator or or even the organization that we have this room. Then the group arrives and the facilitator is not happy with the room. The 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 trainees are not happy with the room. So and the organization, it was the one room that they had. So can we also, like you said, go for a walk and see where people find that they can learn the best? Mm. I think Anita, we should be embarrassed that we, it had to be Rui who brought the co-creation and participation, <laughs> participation into this conversation. I am, I am. I'm, I'm pretty Hopefully we will cut this out. Uh, <laughs> but thank you for raising that. Uh, I promise I was thinking about it when preparing for this podcast. Uh, I think this is really essential. Uh, I think we also, like Anita was saying, I think we speak about it more than we do it very often because it's like, yeah, we can fit the, the circle. We have this room. We have two days to do this, three days. Let's just do it. Yeah. Um, but I think it's very important to have this flexibility of, of also making sure that people know that it's possible to leave this room. And then let's see. And if we fail and we get in the street and we get completely wet, there's something to talk about, maybe not about the topic, but we will know and we will learn in a way and we will still kind of do it together. 
so I think walk indeed uh, is a way to do it, just to see what is what else is out there. I think it's also leaving a lot of then maybe adapting your methodology. So we don't necessarily need to move as a pack of 30 uh, all the time, but that people have instead of half an hour where they cannot go anywhere, but you give them one hour for the little task and tell them, look, you know, again, there are cafes around, there is a library around, there is a square if it's a nice weather, but you have enough time to go and come back. Yeah. Instead of pretending that, yeah, you can go wherever you want, but we want you back in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think things like that, I think I would, I would avoid going for claiming it's a co-creation process when I know I have this room and I myself can know much, much about it, but at least open up the conversations about that we can kind of join together, explore what are the alternatives, and also in a small group or individuals actually choose where we want to go. Yeah, explore the needs of the group and then exactly. try to match the needs of the group with the condition that we exactly. can have. And be very honest about it yeah, yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah, this is yeah. what we can do and this is what we can't do, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And also I think it's about observing how the group reacts to spaces because mm. many times we plan a room as a as a coffee break room, let's say, because mm. whatever, we decide that's a good space. And then we see that people take their coffee and go to the corridor and stand in the <laughs> corridor for half an hour. And, and you know, it's like we spent two hours preparing this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it's also observing people and see yeah. where people naturally gravitate to for different things. Mm. For mingling, they might prefer, you know, the entrance. You know, you know, smokers will go at the entrance, for example. Um um, for for reflecting moments or individual moments, they gravitate for other spaces. Mm. For group moments or small group, group moments, they gravitate to other spaces. And I think when you start observing, first of all, I think with practice, we start observing a lot of groups. We mm. kind of can sense that when we enter a space, we, we get a better sense of, mm, I think as a coffee break here, this is probably not going to be nice because, mm. I don't know, the light is not nice or mm -hmm. there's a lot of noise or a lot of echo, and that pushes people away. But um, but in the beginning, I think it's kind of doing being mindful about this, observing where does the group go? Where do they like to hang out? Where do they like to reflect? Where do, they, where do people get more chatty? Where do people get more quiet? Because probably the space is influencing. If a whole group is getting more chatty in a place, more silent in another, probably there's something there about the space, right? Influencing yeah. the group. I was the other week working in this place. It's a wonderful hotel. Uh, one of those that maybe it could have been like less luxurious, not luxurious in the, in that sense, but really quite comfortable and so on. But we had a room without a daylight, quite big as well. And then actually our group took a couple of days and you saw that they were, it's almost like animals where they're a bit, they're trying to find alternative space. Yeah. And at some point, someone said, what is in that room? Uh, we were not even sure if that's allowed for us. And then they enter in this party room with, you know, table, uh, the, the kind of table, uh, football and mm. uh, darts and so on. So they spent one or two evenings there. They were really liking it. But they had wonderful bean bags, all these kind of comfortable things. And then at some point, someone said, I am a bit comfortable chairs. And I said, well, you know, you like this space. Just bring some stuff from there. Then they started bringing stuff from there. But it's also following the group, seeing exactly. where they go and seeing, okay, we can't really work there. There was really this, you know, completely dark, no really. Mm -hmm. But like, how can we then incorporate some elements that they like there in our room? And of course, not recreate it because that was their room for hanging out. We don't want the room for hanging out during the working hours. But yeah, something that exactly. makes them more comfortable, more kind of willing to engage, it's something that we can definitely recreate. So, indeed. Yeah, the and when Anita, when you were saying that people go chat in some place uh, if you if you take the training there you're ruining the place where they chat 
Yeah. So it, it, it's it's kind of a, a mix that you have to understand that maybe if you bring another dynamic to that space, you're ruining also that space. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You have to be very intentional of how, yeah. how you're going to maneuver around this. Now, I have, before we, we, we go into maybe resources and tips and tricks that I want to ask you, Snezip, for, for people who are kind of want to pay more attention in co-creating learning environments with their participants. Before that, I have it's very a very personal kind of search that I would like okay. to share with you. And maybe both of you would have ideas on this. So many years ago, I went to this exhibition. I don't remember the name of the artist because I, I have a, a little chicken memory. But um, it was wonderful because it made me think about autonomous, what I like to call, maybe one day I'm going to write an article about it, a research about it about autonomous learning objects. And what I mean is, you know, what happens, you know, it's it's amazing what happens if you ask a group into an empty white room and there's a football, you know, there's a ball or basketball, doesn't matter. There's a ball in the middle. Automatically, somebody is going to start kicking that ball or throwing it around. And at least part of the group is going to play and probably a part is going to watch. It's kind of predictable that humans, when they see a spheric object that they can throw around, they will throw around to each other. Mm. The same can be said, you know, if, if there is chairs put in a certain way, people will tend to sit. But mm. if they're put in a different way, people will tend to think like, maybe we shouldn't sit now. Maybe it's not <laughs> um, you know, the same if you have paper and and paint or so do do you kind of ever notice these kind of objects that produce effects on on groups cards cards yeah cards people pick up cards right we're designed cards, just laying cards. them yeah lay, laying around and people will pick them up and start doing stuff and uh, yeah for me that's and then i carry always when i can when i travel by car i carry this this bag of cards and, and games and but that's another uh passion of mine but really, that I feel that people will start, or like you know, dice or things like that. They will start playing, doing things, and yeah. But because sometimes when when you go to learning spaces, cards and basketballs and dice are not the things that usually you expect to find. Usually, you expect to find a pad of paper and a roller pen, and that's it. And the a card with your name and. That's it. So if if you see objects that you hang out in very sad uh, spaces, <laughs> I, I, I was talking about the classic learning when you go to a conference. It's not, it's not my my cup of tea, but I can understand that when you put objects that don't fit in, they don't make all of the sense. People will try to explore. They they will try to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I think we are kind of wired to to touch certain things and to avoid other things. We kind of identify where is mm. the playfulness that I can use already. Where should I be waiting a little bit for? Uh, um, where, where where is something that I'm probably allowed to do, but this I might not be allowed to do. I think, and humans are kind of I think wired when we get into a group and we're trying to, like you say, make sense of the space and appropriate the space. Uh, we're gonna look like for a coat hanger. Do I have a coat hanger here? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Well, there's like automatic things we do. Like, oh, is that, am I supposed to sit? Is there like say, in a table, for example, people don't sit normally. They go like, is there? There's like um, a pointed seating, unless of course you're ooh, in a ooh, another one that they will Lego. If there's Lego, Lego, yeah, the Lego car, it's yeah. like uh, you will. Yeah. Have, but it's interesting because you were saying that some people will immediately, let's say, if it's hmm. the chairs like this, they will sit. If they're not with Lego, I feel 
I still don't have percentages for you, but I feel that there is a percentage <laughs> of people that go like, oh yes, and like like and then yeah. the tower. Yeah. Exactly. Even even before you speak, because normally people will wait for your instructions, like or just invites mm-hmm. you to do it. And then you have people who just get, I think they they go like, what the you know, Hell. I don't want to be here. I don't want to play. This is not what I sign up for. Give me my notepad and the pen. Yeah. So it's normally, normally they would get drawn into by the others. I think yeah. it's really funny to observe this. Situation. It creates that. Yeah. For some people, it's, it's a sign of like, oh, I'm going to, oh, I lost my time. This is not serious. <laughs> why exactly. do I? Why am I here? Oh, but when you said what is there, it's not object. Sorry, but I'm still going to share it with you. What I, my favorite uh, training environment, and that is space plus the other elements there were those were somehow and i'm not saying you can influence this you definitely cannot uh, an animal like a cat or a dog ah, would be yes. and if a small child is also around even better yes. a calm one if it starts to scream then it doesn't help anymore but it's this more familiar kind of living room environment yeah. where they're not for every learning of course yeah if you're doing something very conceptual theoretical but if it's this more that you know that everyone is welcome that everyone can just walk past and no one bothers about it i think these are mm-hmm. this is for me the sign okay this space works uh, mm-hmm. in a way yeah. absolutely okay so let me ask you now if you have any tips or tricks or you know for people who want to be more mindful more intentional about building learning environments what would be your uh tips i don't i don't work with tips i'm afraid <laughs> that's really when someone asks me i'm a bit like lucky people put lego in front of those other people i'm like the top oh, five things no. No, no, no. <laughs> not recipes not recipe no i know i know but it's really i know i get stressed I, I know that they are important but i get stressed it's like i need to say something wise i think for me with the, my three things i think i said what i mostly mm-hmm. uh, pay attention to uh i think it's also one of the tips is not to get stressed about uh mm. space physical space um so try to be mindful about it. Try to make it to work in your favor. Try to see what else is out there. But also, if you don't have time for whatever reason, uh, because you're still getting trying mm-hmm. to get the, the communication with your co-trainer, because you're still kind of trying to figure out what the group is doing, I think space still is something that we can park, I think, for a while, yeah? As long as we give our best to to have the, the learning environment, I think. While it's, I think it's it's basically this one of those magical ingredients. If it works, if you manage yeah. to make it work in your favor, I think it does create wonderful results. Mm-hmm. But yeah, still, I think there are other that are maybe more uh, priority in a way. I think tips, it's not a tip, but it's more the calling for all the fellow youth workers and trainers out there. Uh, let's make it a topic on our agenda and let's also ask for spaces. Uh, again, not necessarily luxurious. That's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for something that is that is adequate, that supports learning, that is diverse, that is versatile, that is not a five star conference room or a hole in the in the you know in the ground cave. Okay, yeah. But it's something that we kind of can really use for education. I think for that that we need we need to be vocal about it. No one mm-hmm. is going to give us what we need without understanding because we are the ones that understand what works in the way. Yeah, I think that's what we we need spaces to talk about this and then call for. I think for spaces uh, there. And just, I think as you, you said it a few times, Anita, just to be mindful about it. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. also try to understand how you feel in the space that might not be the same for everyone else, but I think it starts from you in a way, because I also understand that I'm not prefer- performing as much as I could when I feel uncomfortable in the space. Yeah. For me, uh, physical aspects are not so disturbing, like for example, the time and how that's being perceived by other people in the building. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, we had this conversation as well, but like, if you have the stress from the outside that the lunch is coming, mm-hmm. that things need to be strict, that et cetera, et cetera, that really makes me uncomfortable. And I know that that reflects on the, on the, on the participants as well. Yeah. So I try to understand also your triggers in the space and what kind of makes you, because we talked, we spent basically the whole podcast talking about when uh, spaces work, but I think it's also uh, easy to see when they don't work and when they actually right kind of make it worse for the process in that sense. Yeah? Right. Okay. Um, do you know any, is there any resources or do we have to make them on this? Well, I'm glad you asked. There is one that I wrote. <laughs> uh, actually, no, I mean, uh, so there is one, so it's really the report of youth bus learning. Agora, yes, I did write it myself, but it's basically capturing what happened in the process, but it's it goes a little bit beyond the report. It already gives some recommendations. Watch this space or other spaces because there will be also a report from the seminar, so expert seminar on learning environments, mm-hmm. where there also our researcher, uh, Osgehan, was also uh, gathering some research that already exists in the field and beyond the field there. Focused learning is another space to watch because they ac- actually talk a lot about, about learning and uh, different aspects and facilitation of learning and what to take into consideration, so also learning environments. So there are indeed some resources already there, uh, but I think we could do more. So if uh, anyone listening to this is interesting, uh, interested and interesting, of course, that's important when you <laughs> contribute, I think we could definitely all join forces to try to produce, I think, more from our field, because I think there is a lot uh, about learning spaces uh, in, in higher education, not just higher, but the formal education. But I think that that we uh, actually voice what we would need and what works in our field. Maybe yeah. there could be more. That's fantastic. We're going to add these links uh, into the text of the episode. You can find them there. Um, but before we finish, Rui, I think you have a question from our previous guest. Yes, I have. And yes. Suspense. Are, you, are you ready? Yes. <laughs> Why are you doing what you are doing? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Why? Well, Why? Well, I was really tempted to say because that's the only thing I know how to do. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it's it's a funny question because in the COVID, I was thinking if I cannot do this, right, what would I do? And I thought, oh, well, I would be a tourist guide. And I was thinking, well, it's if it's the end of the world, no one will want tourist guides. So there we go. I'm stuck with this. But no, joke aside, I think it's also, I always said that I will do it until I still feel butterflies in my stomach. Not maybe before every single thing that I do, but that, you know, that I still get a bit anxious, a bit nervous, that I'm wondering how it will go, that I'm overthinking a bit. I think that for me is the sign that I'm still giving myself to this. And because I think our work is a lot based on values. And I think not, not, it's not a given for other sectors and other professions always. Yeah. So I think that's what keeps me going. Yeah, that's a good answer. Thank you. I'm glad you <laughs> thanked me. But the first one was also like it's the only thing I do. It's, it's also a good answer. I know how to do. No so. judging. They're they're both very honest. <laughs> they are. Okay. okay. So can you leave us now a question for our next guest? I can. Uh, so I would be very curious to know from your next guest and whoever wants to answer, is how do they keep their own curiosity going in their work? Yeah. How do they sustain it? How do they make sure that they are curious, open, and willing to understand, see, explore, and so mm. All right. Nice. Very interesting. Okay. So I think it's um, it's time to close our conversation, unfortunately. Oh. I, I think there would be so <laughs> many interesting points of view to explore here about learning spaces, learning environments. Um, but thank you so much, Ness, for, for sharing with us your views. I think thank it's very enriching. Yeah. Yes. 
and, and a second episode will be nice <laughs> yes if, if you're willing to come of course anytime to, to discuss the, the the all the papers and investigation and in things do you will create about this topic the research okay, so, yeah, yeah, the so in 20 years we can meet <laughs> <laughs> and then bring the statistics next please exactly the, the percentage yeah no actually what i will try to do is to find any element that would fit into 37.5 percent and then <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, uh, i was thinking that it may be it may not be that off topic because if you think it's a triangle it's group facilitator in space if you divide it by three in each represent <laughs> 33%, it's 66%. Okay, so okay. the space can have 33%. Very good. Okay, that's it then. We <laughs> I'm glad we helped. We're, we're I'm happy to have somebody that uh, likes numbers. <laughs> so, Thank you, dears. Um, yeah, wishing you a great day. And uh, we keep talking this work around. Thank you. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Team Maish. Recorded and edited by Rui Branco for the international project EduLabs, financed by the Erasmus Plus program. Our great partners for this project are the associations ANEV from the Czech Republic, YouthWatch from Slovakia, and of course HOMAC, the University of Applied Sciences from Finland. <laughs>